God the Father. God the Father knew you. And chose you. Long ago. His spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. Until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in this land. For you know that God paid a ransom for you to save, to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. 
And the ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. At the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes to us. He writes initially to believers who came to faith through what had happened in Jerusalem. This specific letter, the majority of whom were Jews, some of which were Gentiles, that came to faith in the events we've recently read about in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit was evident in power, and there was this question, what does this mean, and what should we do? And Peter stood, and he preached about who Jesus is, and what the good news means, and he said, repent, confess your sins, believe in Jesus as your Savior, be baptized, In water, showing a public statement of your faith in Jesus. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the letter, this is to whom these words were initially written. They had been driven from their hometown. They had been driven from their homes. They had been persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And Peter writes this letter that I think is relevant to us today. And It's interesting, the words that he uses most in this letter are the words suffer or suffering and the words glory. Each of them used 16 times. Peter writes to them and he closes this. I read the whole chapter because at the end of the chapter he he uses this phrasing from Isaiah, which oddly enough is actually the title of a historical study on this neighborhood that went from the 1840s to the 1980s. This uh, Multiple universities and newspapers worked together to study this neighborhood and all of its intricacies and its, its, its history. And the title of it is from these words from Isaiah that Peter closes out this first chapter. And the the meaning of those words. And there was a a property lawyer in the neighborhood that came to me and said, what's the meaning of these words? The meanings of, of those words are, what do we learn from the reality that life is short? See, we hold a belief That God never wastes a hurt. That we can identify with Christ in our suffering. And that in Christ there is glory. 
there can be miracles here and now, and that one day when Jesus returns, ultimate salvation, ultimate glory, ultimate peace will come. We hold those beliefs together. That's what this letter talks about. Suffering and glory. I'm, I'm thankful to Trip Lee for that song, Sweet Victory. We are talking about a sweet victory. A winning, not at the expense of somebody else, but being healthy, at peace, with joy, enjoying salvation and confident in the hope of heaven. Not crestfallen, defeated, dejected, depressed, or downcast. But whether it be in my suffering or whether it be in my joy, I know that here and now I am saved. I am redeemed. Through Jesus, who paid the ransom price for me, and the power of the living God that brought him back to life, my sins can be forgiven. I can be made clean. I can be healed. I can live free. Free. Not to try to be like somebody else. Not to be obligated to do certain things so that I can be approved by the family of God or by God. No. Because of Jesus, I am approved. I am clean. I am made whole. My guilt is restored. My my guilt is removed. My relationship with God is restored. Here, now, in this life, I can know joy that goes beyond what is possible with the empty life that Peter writes about in trying to pursue satisfying myself first and foremost. Sweet victory. Sweet victory. There's victory in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Anytime I try to crank it up, make it up, fake it, it will fall short. It does not come as a result of my efforts. It comes as a result of what Jesus has done. It comes as a result of what Jesus has done. I have found no better antidote for depression and anxiety than to thank Jesus for my salvation. I don't know about you, but I had people who gave up on me because of what a mess I was. God didn't give up on me. I did things I regretted. I said things I regretted. Through Jesus, it has been washed away. I have been made clean. The guilt has been removed. I am truly free of it. I am truly free of it. I have a godly remorse, sure, but I do not feel the same way I used to feel about my past. It has been changed. 
In the view of God, it is different. I am clean. I am free. And now, I have a place in heaven. And I have purpose in this life. Though that, those are changes to my reality that are beyond anything that I could have done. And whenever the things in this life are things I don't like, I don't enjoy, if I will change my focus and wrestle my mind and just start to thank God for what He already has done, no matter what the rest of today has brought, no matter what tomorrow will look like, no matter what the rest of my natural life will look like, if I will stop myself and just thank God for my salvation over and over and over, something in me changes. See, my flesh, my human nature, my thoughts, my decision making, my emotions, my body literally changes. You know that scientifically speaking, when sound enters a room, it changes what's going on in that room. When I speak the truth about my salvation, wherever I am, walking the streets, in my car, in my room, wherever I am, when I speak the truth about my salvation, I am changing the spiritual atmosphere of where I am. My own two ears hear the words coming out of my mouth. We are not talking about fantasy. Some of you remember this, right? I'm not talking about saying, oh, the sky is purple. I can walk out and tell everybody the sky is purple. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to call some people with some white lab coats and some straps and some pills, right? Because the sky ain't purple. Right? I'm not talking about fantasy. I'm talking about based on the revealed word of God. Based on the truth the spiritual truth of what God has accomplished, when I speak the truth, when I have brought myself into alignment with God's truth, which means I have confessed my sin, I have asked for forgiveness, I have confessed Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior, when I bring myself into alignment with Him, there is something spiritual that has happened, and when I speak the truth of what my salvation is, what it means, what it does, what it says about my reality, what it says about my day, wherever I am, my physical surroundings, they are literally changing. I am changing the spiritual atmosphere. And I have found that in whatever state I am in, when I thank God for my salvation, things are better. I had a grandmother who's in heaven now who contracted polio as a newlywed in her early 20s couldn't walk and she would pray every day and she loved the Lord with faith and with joy and she would talk about this victory in Jesus in this way she was not bitter she was not angry she was not depressed she was not self-focused she lived with purpose She loved people. 
She saw this church. She saw what God wanted to do in Baltimore more clearly than many other Christian leaders. She lived a purposeful and amazing life and victory in Jesus was her mantra. It was her phrase. It was the thing she talked about. And what she was talking about was a sweet victory. There is a brokenness that comes in sweet victory. But do you know that Jesus, your Savior, also experienced brokenness? In the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed. He experienced anguish. He said, God, is there any other way? God, would you take this from me? There is no anguish you can feel that your Lord Jesus didn't feel. In a completely human life, he had set aside divine abilities. He experienced a fully human life. He was tempted in every way and yet without sin. The Lord Jesus experienced personal betrayal. He experienced false accusation. He experienced everything about our human life. With deep anguish, he prayed. Our God has not asked us to follow Him, to worship Him based on blind faith. Our Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father now praying for us, making intercession for us. When we pray, Jesus, could you explain to the Father what this human life is like? Because we do not have a great high priest in heaven making intercession for us who doesn't know what this life is like. Our Lord Jesus knows what this life is like. I have sweet victory in Jesus. If you will take anything away from this morning, if you will try today, tomorrow, to thank God for your salvation, Now, if it lacks power and it lacks depth and it it lacks meaning, let's look into what it means. Let's come alongside another believer. The Purple Book is amazingly helpful in a practical way to understand the depth of what your salvation means. People that fall away from the faith don't understand how great their salvation is. Thank God for your salvation. First Peter chapter 1 might be a little bit confusing because the, the Greek to English is not a perfect translation. The grammar of, of, of what Peter is writing about, he talks about things in both a present and a future tense. Just like Paul, he is writing about both redemption and restoration. He's writing about both the reality of our salvation here now today and the reality of Jesus' return and what that will mean in our hope of heaven. This chapter is perfectly synced with this idea of I have sweet victory, that no matter what is going on in my life, no matter what my circumstances, I am redeemed. I am made new. I'm a new creature. And whether in poverty, whether in persecution, whether in riches, in whatever state I am in, I am redeemed, I am made whole, and I have purpose. And yet, one day, this salvation, 
salvation that I have a taste of now will come to its full fulfillment when Jesus returns and we have the hope of heaven. Look at somebody next to you and say, hope of heaven. You can do a little better than that. So here's, here's what we see. In this chapter, you can thank God that your challenges are temporary. You are an eternal spiritual being having a temporary natural experience. God the Father, the only source of true love, hope, peace, and joy is who you will be with for all eternity with no more weeping, no more anguish, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more pain, no more betrayal, no more weakness, no more exhaustion. Come on, somebody. Right? That is your hope. That is your future. That is reality. Anything in the here and now that is not in alignment with that, is temporary. It is temporary. I can experience sweet victory when I call my spirit to attention to these truths. Thank you, God, for my salvation. Thank you, God, that this challenge is temporary. In 1 Peter, we see these phrases. You are known and chosen by the Father. You are made holy by the Spirit. As a result, you have obeyed Him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What is asked of us? I think it's really important for us to come away today with what is asked of us. And there is a hinge, a turning point, a pivot point in this chapter And it's surrounding a word that is really difficult. And last night I had a beautiful opportunity to be uh, semi-interrogated for 45 minutes by somebody who has no belief in God and has never been exposed to the fact that anybody could be sane who had a belief in God. Lots of questions, and it was so much fun. But out of it, in all the questions that I was being asked, I was reflecting on some of my own story and the way that I was hurt by other people and as a result of having been hurt by other people, had a really hard time trusting. And one, one of the ways that that really worked itself out is that for a, a few years, I didn't want to read any other book than the Bible. After I came to a place of, okay, if God's not real, then life's not worth living, I'm going to pursue God every day like my life depends on it because that's what I believe. This is, I'm talking about my experience. After that, my trust issues were such that I, I really wasn't listening, really. I, I, I could be social enough to not hurt people, but I really wasn't listening to my pastor, to my parents, and I really didn't want to read any other book. But I knew that the Bible was reliable because when you just do enough searching about the ancient texts, you cannot take a serious approach to 
where did all this come from? You cannot take a serious approach to human history without recognizing that the Holy Bible is a text that must be reckoned with. It must, you must reckon with it. It stands unassailable, uncomparable. And so I would daily search and Sometimes I try to invite you into my struggle in the Scripture. But for years now, for decades now, reading through it every year, cover to cover. And that, last night being asked all these questions, just reminded me how hard for me trust was. Here's what the word means in this 1 Peter chapter 1 as it's discussed. Trust. To believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. To believe in, have faith and confidence in, and dependence on someone. When Peter writes about this, he is very specifically talking about their relationship with God. And he's very specifically saying, he's very specifically, when you go to the original Greek, he is not saying, just choose to believe. He is communicating based on everything that God has already done, all the ways that God has already proven himself, based on the character of who we have learned God to be, based on many, many points of information, based on who this person is, what this person is like. That's why we rely on, with complete confidence, the living God. That is the primary thing that is asked of us in this chapter. And it may be the most difficult. And that is why I find this prayer very helpful. And I want you to read it out loud with me today. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. This prayer so perfectly syncs up with 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter writing about the beauty of our salvation, the sweet victory we can experience in this life, and the hope of heaven that we have on Jesus' return, and the way that all will be changed. God wants you to experience sweet victory in this life and limitless victory in heaven. So, what do we do about this? Well, what do we learn? Well, faith in Jesus leads to salvation. How many of you would say that you've, you've learned that? Faith in Jesus leads to salvation. And our current trials are temporary. They're temporary. They will be short-lived in the full spectrum of your life. So what do we do? Well, if you haven't already, receive Jesus as your Savior with faith. Second, 
Take time to thank God for your salvation. It's amazing how much gratitude will change your attitude. Thank God for your salvation. Be specific. Be specific. Can we go one step further? Try one day to use the same amount of time and energy that you spend communicating to God things you're not happy with, things you want to see changed, and things that you were asking for. Spend the same amount of time and energy thanking God for your salvation. You will be changed. You will be changed. Third, thank God that the challenge you face is temporary. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. If you're here today and you need to accept Jesus as Savior, please, don't leave until you've reached out, told somebody else, and asked them to pray with you. Okay? This is a place where we pray for each other, where we love on each other, where we serve each other. There's hope. There is victory that is available in this life. A sweet victory. God, I thank you so very much for your word that is alive to us. I thank you so very much for sending Jesus on our behalf. I thank you that in you we can have our guilt removed, our relationship with you restored. Thank you that we can experience sweet victory, peace, transformative peace, joy, limitless joy, and a confident hope of heaven. Help us to thank you for our salvation. Help us to see every trial as temporary. Help us to walk in this sweet victory. I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus.